Hey guys, uh, thank you everybody for joining us again for at, uh, 10 o'clock Eastern. We have our second company in today's series on silicon carbide. We are joined by uh, Mr. Greg Knight, uh, CEO of GD Advanced. Uh, Greg wanted to make a few comments to begin with, so I'm going to turn it over to Greg. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Harsh. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Piper Sound for putting on this, uh, this event and for inviting me. Uh, along with the other the other companies uh, to talk about this topic. Uh, first, I want to kind of just make a comment. My background, for those who don't know, is, uh, is uh, it's a virtual background, and this is a view of our silicon carbide growth hall up in, up in Hudson, New Hampshire, um, just uh, so people understand kind of a scale we're at. We are at scale. We are, uh, you know, manufacturing at relative scale to the, to the other large incumbents in the industry. Um, I want to talk a little bit about GT uh, and its history because uh, a lot of people might know GT as a publicly traded company that uh, went into bankruptcy in 2014. Uh, to give a real quick history is the company emerged from bankruptcy in 2016, uh, financed by a number of finance and support parties. Um, I took over as chief executive in, in September of 2016. And since uh, early 2017, we've really begun a major pivot for, for GT. GT used to be an equipment company focused uh, on sapphire and silicon carbide and, and crystal growth for silicon, mostly for photo, photo, photovoltaics. We've pivoted the company away from being an equipment company. We now are a materials company focused on sapphire, Thai sapphire, and the large growth market with silicon carbide. Uh, we made this pivot really because we believe we have the best equipment in the in the market. We were going to be an equipment company and sell silicon carbide equipment for crystal growth with the process, uh, but it made a lot more sense given where the market is today and the hyper growth in front of it to really make the material itself and participate as a material supplier and to leverage our, our expertise in, in crystal growth and in equipment scaling. Um, so that's really kind of where we are today. Uh, GT is no longer an equipment company. Uh, we are fully a materials company, but with a very strong background in equipment technology, which we leverage in, uh, in our push to, uh, to really advance into silicon carbide. So Harsh, I guess that's, uh, that's the background I wanted to give just uh, to level set everybody on what their company was and what it is today. And uh, we can go from here. Hey, thank you, Greg. And I, you know, it's it's great. You, you mentioned um, your, your opening script. Uh, I remember meeting with you, I believe, six or seven months ago, maybe something like that, back when we could travel. Um, and I remember you mentioning this, but then I also remember you gave a reason as to why you guys changed the business model, and it was fascinating. I was curious if you could just talk a little bit about what happened in the past that made you make the pivot to to the equipment, uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing about oversupply in the sapphire space and so on and so forth. Sure, sure. So, so uh, you know, GT has sold over 6,000 furnaces worldwide across a range of platforms from silicon crystal growth to sapphire crystal growth into silicon carbide. Uh, as a matter of fact, GT was making silicon carbide furnaces and selling them close to 20 years ago. So uh, when people talk about the length of time they've been in silicon carbide, GT's been in it for almost two, two full decades. Um, in the past, GT uh, has done a really good job of enabling new entrants into a market. Uh, 
the silicon market in China for solar was enabled by GT's crystal growth technology for multi-crystal silicon. The large-scale sapphire crystal growth for LED, that hyper growth and, and then collapse and now normalization at very low cost for sapphire substrates was because GT uh, sold a tremendous amount of capacity in sapphire furnaces. In both instances, what happens is being an equipment company, and I, and I think most OEMs can attest to this, equipment technology gets replicated fairly quickly. Uh, and it's hard to prevent that from happening, especially when a lot of your customers are, are in Asia. So uh, with the growth of silicon carbide being really future growth, we're looking at you know, mid-20s, let's say. Uh, it didn't make sense for us to sell equipment today, sell a process today, because now the cat's out of the bag, and we would essentially be uh, monetizing a carbide technology before the market growth of silicon carbide, and that just didn't make sense. So we decided to uh, do what we've done for other customers for the past 20 years by enabling them with crystal growth technology and furnaces and, and use it internally uh, as our own internal customer. So we're essentially now a vertically integrated company from it being equipment company into a materials company. And another wow. unique part about this business model, Harsh, I just want to hit on is we don't make wafers. And I want to be completely clear. We don't sell substrates uh, like Korean 2.6. We don't do Epi. We grow the crystal. And we our product is a crystal that is sold to downstream players who then wafer it themselves. We view the crystal as a bottleneck uh, and, uh, and really the point to, to address to de-bottleneck the industry, bring costs down and be able to, to scale rapidly. Um, so we're not out making wafers. We aren't out competing with the wafer makers. We're really in our own unique business model right now as being a, uh, a bulk material supplier. Got it. Very helpful. And and then um, I was curious, you know, one of the questions um, that comes up a lot, almost every conversation with investors is, hey, how do we think about the cost curve relative to silicon? So sure. uh, EV industry started off with, with silicon stuff, and then uh, as the cost started to become more sensible, they wanted to migrate to or trying to migrate to silicon carbide. Curious, you can talk about that. Sure. So, so, so the first thing is really where, where do you want to count for cost, right? Uh, in different industries, you look at, again, if you look at the solar industry, it's dollars per watt or dollars per kilo, kilowatt hour, right? Uh, and different industries have their different uh, ways of looking at cost. For, for power electronics, it's got to be cost per some unit of power or current density, or, uh, and, and that's really where the cost has to be looked at. The bottom line for silicon carbide, the wafer will never be the same cost as silicon. And, and, it's, and it's simply the fact that you cannot grow the crystal nearly as large as a silicon crystal. Silicon crystals grow into the hundreds of kilograms uh, where silicon carbide, we grow it to four kilograms maybe, right? So it's just uh, a much different scale in a growth run. And the primary cost in crystal growth is how much material do you get out every time you run a furnace? So we're orders of magnitude off, and that's just the nature of the technology. Uh, however, it doesn't mean that we can't get the cost of the substrate down significantly, such that in that downstream power metric, the, the MOSFET 
becomes uh, in many applications, in those high power applications, becomes cheaper than the IGBT, right? That's really the goal in the end of the day. And I think by, by 2024, that time frame, there's no reason why a silicon carbide wafer should be any more than $300. Okay, that's, uh, that's pretty helpful um, and, and exciting at the same time. And where are you guys in GTA, GT Advanced, where are you in terms of your capacity? Um, however you want to quantify it with, with ingots or with, with bulls, um, and, and how quickly do you think you can uh, add the uh, relative to others and to meet all this, this exciting demand. Sure, sure. We're sitting roughly, if I had to, if, if we had to wait for everything we make in a traditional sense, uh, traditional wafering, we would be at about 55,000 wafers per year type, type capacity. Okay. And this was our initial scaling. Um, the, the, the key to scaling is really capital efficiency, which means low cost equipment and uh, high speed from deployment of capital to revenue. To give an example, so behind me in this picture, there's, there's two banks of furnaces. Each bank has 25 furnaces in it for a total of 50. Um, we did them in two separate installations. It took us about four months to receive all the pieces and parts. And it took us seven weeks to build, install, ramp, and turn over to production. So with the exception of equipment lead time, we essentially scaled from nothing to 50,000 wafers per year in seven weeks. That is amazing. And, and do you have more room at the place, uh, the facility that, you're, that, that the picture is taken? Can you double, triple? Because uh, we, we do expect fantastic things from this industry. We want to make sure that you guys can increase capacity from here. Sure. Just, just under roof and number of furnaces in this one facility, we can go about 6x what's behind me. Um, the facility is all ready. It's got the, it's got the power, it's got the cooling. Uh, we've got you know, UPS, battery backup, uh, everything that infrastructure is already, is already there. And it's just a function of when we begin to deploy capital against, against offtake. Okay, um, and can you um, give us a sense of, um, I think you guys put out a rare press release about, uh, about a customer, Global Wafers, I believe, some time ago. I, I was curious if you could talk about your relationship, um, you know, what you supply to them, anything you can mention about the agreement or what you do for them, and then sure. also, uh, also others. Um, sure, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying this. There's really kind of three categories of customers that we, that we work with. There's the companies who aren't in wafering today for silicon carbide who want to become a silicon carbide wafer producer, but uh, either their crystal growth themselves is, is lacking or they're not able to get where they need to, or they don't have any crystal growth and they don't want to do it, but they want to participate as a wafer manufacturer. Uh, that's kind of category one, and, and global wafers falls in that category. Um, category two are the IDMs uh, who want to vertically integrate to some degree uh, to control part of the supply chain as, as a hedge. We've seen companies like ST bought Norstel. You've um, seen investment from OnSemi uh, and Infineon on, uh, with SelfTetra. Uh, and we actually recently announced, publicly announced when we're providing Crystal to OnSemi under a long-term supply agreement. So that's kind of category two, which is the vertically integrated IDMs who will make wafers 
uh, off of our bulk material. The, the third category are, are incumbents. So current wafer manufacturers who, you know, possibly could benefit from our speed to scale to help as, uh, you know, in a make versus buy decision internally to maybe help them scale faster, right? Where they can bring maybe wafering on faster than crystal growth and we can help fill gaps with, uh, with existing wafer suppliers. Uh, and that's really kind of three categories of customers. Now, specifically to Global Wafers, uh, we've been working with them for a very long time. They were a customer of ours back in the silicon days with the equipment. Uh, they were a customer of ours in for silicon carbide with uh, in the early days with the four-inch silicon carbide furnaces. Uh, and so I approached them very early on when we were going to make this pivot and said, hey, uh, you know, I believe you want to get into silicon carbide uh, on a very large scale. And uh, would this type of relationship worked? work for you and uh and, and it has uh we have a very close working relationship with them uh they're uh, an absolute key customer of ours what's exciting about working with a company like global wafers is everyone talks about silicon competing with silicon carbide and i think there's a unique uh interplay between the two in that no matter what silicon carbide does silicon will always be a larger industry right the application space for silicon is just so large Global Wafers is the third largest silicon wafer company in the world, the largest outside of Japan. They're, I believe, the largest supplier to power semi for silicon carbide, for silicon substrates. And so as you begin to ramp silicon carbide, it's interesting to think about the possibility of leveraging the economics of silicon. Right? These customers for Global Wafers, no matter what, are always go buy many more silicon wafers from Global Wafers than they will silicon carbide. But it doesn't mean you don't leverage the economics of both, right, to win business. So I think the existing large silicon wafer providers today who get into silicon carbide have a very unique advantage because they have a whole nother uh, economic lever that they can use to win the carbide business. That's fair. Um, and what are they, what are your customers uh, telling you? Obviously you've got a nice list going already and this is substantially larger list than when I saw you six or seven months ago. Uh, are they asking you to step it up, step on the gas and, and let's go, let's go and you know, double, triple the capacity. Is that what you're hearing from? Uh, yeah, so, so, so where we are, we're, we're in qualification with, uh, with a whole host of, 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 uh, of customers, both with companies from, making wafers who are then having their wafers qualified downstream with the IBMs. Again, we don't, we don't qualify directly per se. Uh, and then of course we have relationships with, with IDMs. We have a uh, long-term supply agreements already with global wafers and on semi, and we're in active negotiations on other long-term supply agreements. What's, what's interesting is 2020 is uh, more of a, a qualification year. Uh, you know, we have had some impact from, from COVID, uh, people can kind of see there's been a, a slight dampening, especially through Q1 and Q2. Uh, but the agreements that we're discussing show really hyper growth, especially really beginning in 21, but really hitting the gas 2022, 23, 24, right? And that's really, uh, and it kind of matches the, what, what other people are saying where the, the real hyper growth comes. So today, our scaling is very measured against offtake, uh, but 
with these agreements that we have in place, we're going to uh, be scaling off the back of, of this offtake uh, really starting next year, and you're going to see that scaling accelerate. Great. Um, and uh, when you talk about, um, you know, why you get chosen, obviously there's a handful of manufacturers, there's that, but is there a criteria your customers come back to over and over again and say, this is kind of, this is kind of why we love you, why we want to do business with you and why we choose you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a couple of things. One, one just gets back to the business model. Um, if, uh, if somebody, if there's an IDM that wants to vertically integrate, and, and they want to just get the crystal and wait for themselves uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and reduce their internal wafer costs, there's, there's not many options. Uh, as I say right now, we're the only option with very high quality bulk crystal. There, there is no, there's some, there's some companies in China who you can buy crystal from, uh, but by and large, it's not, it's not nearly the quality that's necessary, right? Quality is, 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 is absolutely key. Um, and it's a relentless focus. Being only crystal focused, we have a relentless focus on the quality and cost structure of the crystal. Um, so number one is, is, is the business model, right? Um, number, number two is, is really quality and cost and speed to scale, right? We, we try to make it very easy for the customers. Um, we can tailor our products to what they're doing for downstream slicing. If a company is doing diamond wire, diamond slurry, they might need slightly nuanced differences on, on how the crystals delivered to them. If they're doing laser, uh, laser splicing and things like that, laser splitting, then they might want a slightly different finish to the crystal and, and how it's brought to them so they have a more effective process. Um, so we tailor the product to, to the customer as well. We understand those needs. Um, and what applications, Greg, are you seeing the most demand for? You know, there's two obvious ones or two or three obvious ones, RF, there's automotive, um, industrial, which is also a subset of power. Uh, where are you getting the most traction from? from yeah, yeah, so most of our traction is, uh, is, is N-type, so it's the semiconducting, and so that's for the power market. Um, the downstream applications, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit odd because we are disconnected. Right, we're really two steps disconnected from the from the actual device itself. Uh, but where the demand growth is coming from is projected is is automotive. Where it goes today is things like power fracture correction with diodes and with uh, uh, PV is, is another off taker today. And then you know you start to see the non critical automotive onboard and offboard chargers. Um, you know the, the the final thing to qualify for. Uh, from a material standpoint, get into is really the drivetrain, right? The traction inverters on, on automotive. And that's really where the, the, the big growth comes from. And I believe uh, when we were talking, you know, your process is slightly different than a lot of other people. Could you, I was wondering if you take a second or a minute to talk about, you know, um, in your opinion, of course, if you're more efficient, um, one, one process versus the other. Yeah, so I, I think all the processes, it, it, it depends on how you want to define process. Right? We're, we're all using what's called the PVT, crystal growth method. Um, so we're all doing the same thing. If you were inside a machine and you were the crystal growing, you'd be doing it roughly the same way. Um, for people to understand this crystal growth, I'll, I'll just kind of give it a say 45-second synopsis. This crystal growth is unique in that silicon carbide does not melt. 
right? So every other crystal in the world, you make by first melting the material you want to start with, and then you crystallize from the molten state. Uh, and that makes sense to everybody. Silicon carbide doesn't melt. So you need to take your starting material, uh, which tend to be in powder form, um, or small, smaller particles, and you sublimate it. So you heat it up under vacuum and you turn it into a gas. And then you have to crystallize. The difference between sublimating and crystallization are very small differences in temperature, very small. So this furnace is at 2000 degrees, plus minus, uh, and you're controlling this, this, this growth environment to single digit temperature differences. And what makes it especially difficult, it's sealed. Because any break in the crucible will create a temperature difference. So you can't, there's no way to visualize or directly measure anything you're doing. You, it, it can't be done. Now that's the same quandary we all have. We, we all deal with that issue, which now comes to the, the equipment and the process setup. So how do you best control a sealed closed process? Uh, GT has been working on this equipment for about 20 years. Uh, we have, I think, some of the best equipment design engineers and some of the best controls engineers in the equipment space in the world, um, especially for thermal processing. And by leveraging that and leveraging what we know with materials, uh, crystal growth in general, uh, controls environments, supply chain control, every piece and part you bring in, it all matters. It all matters to getting the process to work. Um, if people were to dig into this a little bit, they'd hear words like magic and art, the art of crystal growth for silicon carbide, and, and there's no art, right? If you think there's art and magic, that's because you're missing something that you're physically not controlling, right? There's no, there's no magic wand to make this work. Um, you'll also hear a lot that you can have the same equipment that runs the same exact recipe over and over. Um, and, and we challenge all that because to be successful as an equipment company, you can't give your customer something or give them a hundred furnaces and tell them they're all going to be different. They all have to be the same. They have to run the same. Um, so a big part of our advantage is the fact that I think we have the best equipment that money can buy when it comes to this crystal growth. The, 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 the next nuance, Harsh, is really around temperature, right? There's lots of ways to heat things up. Uh, we choose a very efficient way to heat things up. Um, it's called the induction. Other people do it, uh, and that's the choice we made. And some people do what's called resistance, which is like your oven at home. And if you have an electric oven, that's resistance. Uh, we feel induction is, is much more cost-effective, uh, is much more repeatable, and uh, it allows us to, to scale faster, take up smaller footprint, use a lot less power, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's really where I think a lot of our advantage comes from, uh, frankly, is purely in, in how well we manage the process and manage our equipment. Great, Greg. Um, I, we asked the same question, Troy asked the same question to Chuck earlier. Where are the Asian uh, manufacturers? Because that's what uh, really tanked the sapphire industry before, uh, at least the pricing of it. Um, so I want to ask a dual part question. Um, where is Where are the non-American manufacturers in terms of cost, quality, size? And then also, let's just say I love asking this question. Let's say I, I hit the jackpot, had a lot of money, and said, I'm going to go start making silicon carbide wafers today because I got nothing else to do. 
uh, how long, I mean, is money even a factor, is capital a, a, a factor, or is just that you have to go through certain hurdles and it's going to take you a certain amount of time? And how much time is that from standing? Sure, sure, sure. Great, great question. So, so Asia does have some, some, some competition out there. Uh, the most notable one is Tank Blue, uh, and there's a host of others. And there's been some announcements out of Taiwan with Thai Energy has announced that they're getting into this game. Uh, it's, it's a difficult process, right? Uh, you, you have to have the, the expertise, the modeling. We have some of the best modeling that money can buy for, for, for our process. Uh, and then modeling then has to match reality. You can model something all day long, but if you don't match reality to the models, then, then it doesn't do you any good. Uh, so all of that takes expertise and it takes time. Now, this is where the capital question comes in. Some people say, can you, can you buy your way in? Uh, and that's a tricky question. Without expertise, no. You're really just banging your head against against a wall. It's a very difficult process with innumerable variables that you don't even know exist. So what does money buy you? Money buys you cycles of learning. Uh, the investors in GT understood that and continue to understand that. And when we initially built this factory, we didn't have the global wafers contract. Right, but we needed the cycles of learning to catch, to catch the current incumbents in terms of crystal quality. And the only way to get cycles of learning is to have more furnaces. Um, it was an investment that uh, that was made in in GT, uh, and this one that's this one that's paid off because it was an investment based on increasing our cycles of learning, backed by a you know, vast amount of expertise. Uh, when we met last time, Greg, um, I think um, you had talked about maybe one or two quality metrics that that you wanted to to to, to get better at before you felt like your your crystal was world class. Can you talk about where you are relative to like the best of the best today? Sure. So in in, in two in early two thousand nineteen, we were uh, you know we were behind quality wise. Uh, the two other companies who are speaking also today, Korean 26, they make very, very good material. And for us to participate with the tier one IDMs like the OnSemis, we also need to provide that very high quality material. I listened a little bit uh, to, to Chuck earlier and he's absolutely right. Quality is, is, is absolutely key because you need to get the device costs down. You can't get the device costs down if you don't have good die yields. Good die yields mean you have to have good quality. And we were we were lagging behind them, and we uh, in early 2019 launched an initiative to make a step change in our quality. Uh, and that was really around developing our own our own crystal seed source. Uh, when we started, we bought seeds from somebody. So we had to start with something. Uh, you can't you can't grow off nothing. Uh, and it became apparent that we were seed quality limited. So we launched an initiative to create the highest quality seeds we possibly could for six inch crystal growth. Um, and we finished that transition in a little under a year. And now I think when we look at quality metrics, we're, we're in line with the, other, uh, with the other top tier companies. So this brings us to a pretty fascinating thing. The, the whole seed aspect is, is, is amazing because I think it's, uh, it's sort of an unsung hero barrier to other people. And uh, can you talk about 
how hard it is to get a seed and the um, the importance of the seed perhaps in the growing uh, growing growing of the crystal process. Yeah. So this is the, again what's <laughs> yeah we talked about the thermal challenges and the black box process challenges around around silicon carbide. Silicon carbide is also unique in that it's the only crystal where you grow starting with the full-size seed of the crystal you want to grow. You know, to contrast that, when you want to grow a silicon crystal, okay, for a semiconductor, you start with a seed that's about the diameter of a pencil, okay? And you dip that into this molten pool of silicon, and you begin to pull the crystal out from the molten pool. And you keep it at that diameter at that diameter of the pencil until you have a perfect crystal. And then you begin to enlarge the diameter of the crystal you're pulling until you get to your 200, 300 millimeter, whatever your diameter you're shooting for. So you have the luxury of starting with something that could be low quality uh, and you pull until you achieve the very high quality and then you move into your big crystallization. Silicon carbide, you, if you want to grow six inch crystal, you need a seed that's six inches. There's no way around it. And whatever defects are present in that seed are going to at least begin to be present in the crystal you grow. And certain defects you can reduce through crystal growth, uh, either in a run or through many iterative runs. Other defects are very hard to eliminate over even over many, many, many runs of, uh, you know, you grow crystal, you slice it, become seeds. Take those seeds, grow more crystals, right? That iterative process. Not all defects are easily, uh, are easily removed. Uh, and that's why we took the path we took, which, which was unique, right? We had to catch up with people who have been growing crystal in production for 20 years. We had a year to catch them in quality, right? So we had to take a different approach. Now today, you can buy seeds. You could call up a number of Asian companies and they'll sell you a crystal and you can slice it into seeds, but you're gonna be at a, at a marked disadvantage because your starting quality just isn't where it needs to be to grow a high quality crystal. And then Harsh, the other point I'll say is even if you have the highest quality seeds in the world, if you don't have a good crystal so, growth so that's process, like the, the same question in a different way. How many years will it take um, let's say if I got a, a crystal from somewhere and I wanted to, to go at it, uh, am I talking a year uh, if I have a lot of expertise or am I talking more than that just for the, just for the Asian competition to come to this market? Yeah, I, I think it really depends on what you mean by, by a lot of expertise. Um, if, if you look at the, the other people who grow really good crystal, right, they both have designed their own equipment. Now, why is that? Because there's no OEM today who can deliver equipment with a process, right? So, uh, and, and, and this is true for any nascent industry. It was true in the early days of photovoltaics and semiconductor, right? People made their own equipment to grow the crystals because the OEMs didn't exist. Um, and that's where GT used to play, right? We used to take advantage of that and become an OEM and scale a market quickly. Uh, we've done that internally for ourselves. So I guess I would say, for you to do that, you have to not only understand PVT crystal growth, but you need to understand the entire ecosystem around crystal growth. You have to understand the equipment, the process controls, all the materials going in, how to control it. And, uh, and then, of course, you have to get your costs down, right? Um, and that all 
is a host of challenges. So you can start with the best seed in the world and grow an absolutely terrible crystal. Okay. Right? The seed only matters if the crystal growth process is good. So lots of, sound like lots of barriers. Um, you still see this as a U.S. dominated game uh, as you as you look out, just because of the R and D that uh, that that's been put in here. I, I I think so, and I also view it as this isn't a game where labor drives the cost, right? Uh, you're you're growing crystal. Uh, you know, some people cycle times less than two weeks. Some people cycle times are closer to a month. Uh, but when you're growing crystal at these kind of cycle times and the starting materials, the hot zones. Uh, the power, it, it, it all adds up. Uh, the single uh, labor, your footprint, that, that stuff on the cost Pareto isn't, isn't a driver. Um, it's, it simply isn't. It's, it's all about material quality and yield. And uh, what's interesting is I do liken this a lot to silicon for, uh, you know, for, for semi where are the major silicon producers for semi? They're in Japan, Taiwan, Europe, and the US, right? Now, why is that? Because in semi, you need just the best quality material available. And that comes from some, having some of the best scientists, minds, and engineers available. Right? And so I think this is, follows a very similar track. Got it. Uh, I'm going to, um, we're down to close to the wire here. I'm going to ask you um, to finish with an economic question, the supply and demand curve. Uh, you know, my understanding today is that the supply is lagging relative to the demand and hence the prices that you see, uh, which companies are trying to fix. How do you see the curve? Um, and with your model, especially this, this sort of different approach to doing business, uh, how do you want to impact that curve? Yeah, I, I think the curve today is is somewhat balanced. I don't think there's a large mismatch. I think pricing today is more really driven by the by the cost to make the material. Right? People have to people have costs and you have to make margin. I don't think that uh, when you look at the materials being purchased under the long term agreements today, I think is reflective of of the cost of making the materials and and and, and margins that, that need to be made. Uh, so I don't think there's a giant imbalance. A year ago, a year and a half ago, where wafers were that much more, I would say, yeah, that imbalance was was much more rampant. Um, now, when I say an imbalance, I, I mean, I don't think there's an imbalance for the large IDMs. I think if you're a smaller company trying to develop something and you're trying to get your hands on wafers, okay, you might see the market as tight. But for the big, for the big off-takers, I don't think the ACA necessarily is a tight market today. The key, uh, and, and again, I listened a little bit to, to Chuck earlier, is really having a good matched expansion. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the companies in this space are all doing this the same way. It doesn't make sense to just run away with capacity, right, and create a, a supply mismatch, um, nor does it make sense to, to, to keep throttled back and create a big, uh, a big demand mismatch. I got one more for you, uh, Greg. We have a couple more minutes. Um, has COVID impacted your ability, your, your A, your, you know, process of expansion, B, your operations in any form or manner? Uh, not, not too much. For, for a couple months, it really hurt on visibility, right? It became very quiet all through Europe and Asia and even in the U.S. Um, and so you definitely, you definitely lost market visibility for a period of time. Uh, 
you know, automotive is clearly going to be slow through this year. And I think you're going to see that in the, with the power IDMs, uh, they're running at lower utilizations. That's, that's for certain. Um, from what we hear and in, in, in seeing indications of 2021 is going to be a pretty good rebound year. Uh, we were able to continue to operate. Uh, I'm very proud to say we haven't had anyone in our workforce uh, fall ill to this sickness. Uh, we took all the necessary precautions to continue to take all the necessary precautions to keep uh, our employees safe and healthy uh, and keep the operations up to support our customers. Right? It's, it's all a delicate balance uh, and a very deliberate balance. We've been able to do it successfully. And is there any plan for GD Advance to go to the different type of way for the RF um, way for which is a slightly different animal altogether? Yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. It's under it's under development this year, and our goal is to have uh, wafers released for qualification uh, at the end of 2020. Oh wow! Um, so this is for qualification to the. Um, again, you'd go back to like the globals of the world and and other people that that. that at Warnham as opposed to same model, right? I, I think correct. correct, 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 correct. Um, Greg, we're we're almost done. I wanted to see if you had want to say some final things uh, before we wrap up. No, I I, I think the other thing to just uh, discuss sometimes is is uh, you know, I heard it earlier, eight inch. Uh, you know, we we realized stepping to this market uh, that we had to one catch the catch up on quality to make sure that wafers made from GT Crystal are uh, as good as wafers made from, from anyone else's crystal in the world. Um, and, and we believe we've done that. And the other thing we have to do is we have to stay on the, these development roadmaps. Right? Eight inch is on the roadmap uh, where we've been working on it from the beginning actually, as in parallel with six. Um, and we're just watching how that market evolves and when, when the demand begins to, to move. There is definitely gonna be a need and demand for eight inch to reduce the cost of the device and, uh, and we'll be ready with that material when the market is, uh, is, is looking to take it. So Greg, as I look at the shot behind you, those crucibles can, and, and most of that equipment, can it be reused and repurposed for eight inches easily? Yep, all the equipment was designed initially for uh, moving all the way up through eight inch. Great, um, fantastic. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for your time this morning. And we really, really appreciate you uh, being able to join us. I wanna remind we have uh, the next presentation at 1045 with the management of Cree. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Harsh, and uh, thanks again to Piper, uh, Piper Sandler, sorry for, uh, for putting on the event. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, take care.